Welcome to the Mycelium Network Podcast, a podcast for early stage web developers and the mentors, teachers, and communities that help them along the way. Hey, Mesemach, and welcome to the Mycelium Network Podcast. Hi, nice to be here. Thank you for having me. It's a huge pleasure. Um, so, yeah. You were one of the folks that also reached out and put your hand up when I asked in the Chaos Community Slack, like, hey, is there any junior folks that want to talk on a podcast, share their story, their struggles, their joys, all this stuff? So I'm very thankful for that. But before uh, we go into anything, any of more detail, I'd love for you to just do an introduction about yourself, um, who you are, what you do, um, and give us a bit of your backstory. Okay. All right. So my name is Misoma Okonkwo. I'm from Nigeria. I'm a product designer with about three years experience. And I I did not originally start as a designer. I did not study design in school. I started off as, I studied microbiology in school. And after school, I had to like switch to design because 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 while I was in school, I was already designing like graphic design logos and all of that for small businesses, and so I had then I was I'm I'm someone who is very interested in research too, so I then figured that product design allows me to design and also like be and also be involved in research too. So that okay, I started to like go into product design, and it's been very it's been amazing so far, and I would have I won't have it any other way. So what aspects of research do you find interesting? What is it about research that gets you excited? Oh, so I, I, really, I really like that. I get to understand how people think and I get to know that, that really that the way, the way I see things, people don't see like that. I get to see that, oh, that I might, I might think, okay, we might, I might be placed with, I might be shown, let's say, a purple cup or a blue cup. Everybody wouldn't see it that way because it's, I see it as purple doesn't mean everyone will see it as purple. Like it, it allows me to see things from people's like other um, users, their perspective. I get to like empathize with them. I also get to like oh understand why they see this thing the way they see it. So um, being active in this field and doing the research and all that kind of stuff, how has it changed how you look at products, whether that be products in in brick and mortar or whether that's like online websites and interactions on websites so whenever i see a product i would use um fintech as an example um i would first of all i try to like okay look at okay as a designer when it comes to color there are certain colors you do not use because because people see certain colors as like when they see a product has certain colors they don't see it as authentic they see it as oh I might be scammed. So, but there are some colors you get to use, like blue, purple. There are some other like cool colors you get to use that affect, like, like psycholo- psychologically, yeah, people get to see a product. That, oh, I can't be scammed with this product. Like, oh, I can trust this product. Like all of that. So, like, so whenever I see a product, first thing I just look at, oh, how does it look? Is 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 it looking? Is is it giving? Is it giving? Um, free, like, does it? Am I going to be? Free, um, scammed or something like i just start first and i get to see then i try to like okay then i try to like log in you know from the login and signing up that's like where your experience starts from so i get to okay understand oh um is it user like how is the user experience like is it friendly like it's can any user you can any kind of user use it 
Um, speaking of any kind of visa, I also like transit. There are people who, who are colorblind. So you also need, oh, can they also be able to use these products and all of that? And and um, the steps involved in doing a particular um, tax, carrying out a particular tax, like, are they complex? Are they simple? Can any can anyone use this? So that's the way I see any product. Yeah, interesting. Yes, so accessibility is obviously a big, big factor here, and it goes beyond. It goes beyond just the colors. It it goes also to can I use this if I can't use a mouse? Can I use this if I can't see? All these things it needs to be taken into account, right? So it's it's quite so. Graphic design, so I read this one article of yours that was published on a website called TechNext, which I've learned is a like a tech uh, news site in Nigeria. And um, you had quite the interesting journey, like you, you did graphic design and then you were going to do medicine, but then the university, there was some hassles there and you had to do microbiology and then you were like, Oh, this is gonna might be cool because you know there's a coding aspect to this, but then you kind of stopped the code because you needed to focus on your studies, and then later on you came back to code, and then from there you kind of fell into product design that you really enjoyed. How did you find that whole process of having to go through all of these different verticals? Um, okay, so it, I wouldn't I wouldn't say it was easy. It was not actually easy because, okay, starting from secondary school where we had to write, um, take the IGCSE exam. So we were introduced to coding then. So, and during the whole process of preparing for the exam, I really liked, I got, I got interested in coding and all of that. So, but then after the IGCSE, I had to continue my academics, which was university. So I was going to study uh, medicine. But I didn't get that, so I got a microbiology. So I had to say, okay, do that. So I was like, okay, maybe I could switch later. But then I was like, I do not think I want to switch again. You know, there are sometimes that you get to, when you get into some, something, you get you realize that, oh, I don't think I want to do this again. I think oh, I think this is not for me anymore. This I want something else other than that. So it was when I got into school, microbiology, I, I picked interest in, graphics design all of that but I, I was using Canva as a then so that was how I started and I was assisting businesses small businesses in school come up with logos and all of that flyers and posters and all of that so I then got to know about product design and as a microbiologist here we get to do the research a lot and I really find that like interesting so that oh I also get to do product um, um, research in product design so why not and I'm a fan of research, so I started to do that, and that's how I got into it. I'm a self-taught product designer, starting with YouTube, and all of that, so that's how I got into it. Nice. So um, I know that I, I saw on uh, LinkedIn, I believe it was, you shared a couple of uh, videos where you were working in Figma. So you mentioned Canva, but then you've now transitioned it, I, I imagine, working in Figma. Is Figma the primary tool that you use on a day-to-day -day basis? Any other tools that you find helpful in this space? Any open source tools maybe that you found? Or is, do you think there's there's a missing, there's an opportunity there in open source maybe? Um, For me, I use Figma primarily because that's like, that's like my tool that, most companies, most individuals use and all of that. But I started with 
um, Adobe XD, but I had to switch to Figma because because um, of my um, career, basically. And apart from Figma, I use Miro for the research where I get to like articulate my research and all of that. Then I also use FigJam, which is like a product of a sister product of Figma. Yeah, and I also use um for I think yeah, that's basically what I use for like then for usability there are other like the um instruments um tools sorry I use and yeah that's basically it for the main aspect of design. Do you use Figma in the research process? So you know, doing maybe quick mockups or user flows that you then invite people to have a look at or play with and see what their impression is. Oh, okay. So for they, they no, I may, I already mentioned that they, I use them FigJam. So FigJam is um, is a sister product of Figma. You get to do like the whole research there. You could do your user flow, everything prior to designing, like the UI designing. You get to do that on FigJam. So that's why I use. Then I could I also use Miro, but Miro is paid. So so that's why. So I also. Um, mentioned in the article uh, was the fact that even though you yourself is still early in your career, you have stepped up as a mentor for others. So I would love to hear from you from two different perspectives. The first is how important is mentorship in general? And then why did you decide that you want to also stand up and say, hey, I'm here to mentor others. Okay, so I would say in any career, whatever career you choose, you mentorship is very important because you really can't do it alone. You just need somebody who who has gone there, like who is ahead of you to like put you through, to just hold your hand sort of like just lead you and all of that yeah yeah true yeah but then you cannot also like depend fully on the mentor because you also need to like like oh show why you need to be mentored that oh show that oh that if this person mentors me um the person is not wasting his or her time to get that's what i have to say about mentorship and mentees yeah and so why i decided to go in and mentor people was that was because of my journey I know that there are people who are trying to like switch careers and maybe there are people who think that, oh, for me to go into product design, I have to like come, I should have studied uh, computer science or computer related courses or product design in university and all of that. So I am doing this to let to let people know, people who are coming up know that, oh, you really do not have to. Like study product design in uni. You just have to, you don't have to study any computer related courses in uni. Then all or like like thankfully for tech here, yeah, like like all you need is your we need your determination. We need you to be like be sure that this is what you want to do. Not that today you and and anyway, there's no harm in saying oh I want to do this and tomorrow you're doing it. It's fine. At least that's part of growth here. Yeah. You get to like try out things to know what. Um, you like and what you do not like and what you can cope with after years. But I mean, but whenever you decide to go into tech or product design, I just need people to know that um, that that any career you want to switch from, it's possible. So that's why I'm doing this, and I am willing to hold people's um, hands and walk them through product design. Yeah, that's that's lovely. So essentially, giving back because you know you've you've helped people help you. So now you feel like 
it's your responsibility yeah. to help. Yeah, no, same for me. I mean, that's one of the reasons I do this podcast and I have the community and everything. It's, you know, I've I've had a lot of luck, but also a lot of hard work to get me where I am. And now I feel like I've, it's my responsibility to give back and help others who want to do this thing, you know, because, yeah, sometimes it can it can sound like you need to be some like super smart person or you need to be this you know incredibly well versed in mathematics and these types of things and it's like no it's not true there's some some areas of tech where it's good if you have a really solid mathematical background but it's it's not each and every little job i find it interesting that you mentioned um that in tech having the university degree is not super important it's good it, it's fine if you could do that and if that's something yes. you want to do that's great but it's not a requirement to get a job do you find that to be true in Nigeria where you live have you found this to be true globally or are you finding some areas where it's harder where people are like mm, we really want to see those credentials oh okay for me I would say that tech your work just shows like speaks for you your work speaks for you you know when you apply for a job the whole interview faces and that there might even be a stage where you might like you'll be given a task to do and all of that so so when you carry on those tasks like they get to know if you really can do this so even if you study that course in university and then you apply for a job and then when you are given the task or when during your interview um, stage of his you are not able to show for it that then I do not think um, um, companies will hire you because oh you have product, you studied product designer in, product design in uni and all of that your work will definitely show for you because that's how tech is built here so and also um, yeah even though I'm saying that oh you do not have to study but you also need to take professional courses because you because you never stop learning you for every for every phase for every year of experience you you um, you gain you need to like oh. You need to, to acquire more. You need to show, okay, you need to show, okay, when I say I have three years experience for product design, or when I, when, when, when people see my work, like, is it what, like, like would they ever believe that, oh, I, I truly have this um, years of experience because, because as, as a product designer, you, you get to grow, like, every, every year, you, you, like, start, like, as a beginner, you, you, you might not really, really be involved in system design and all of that but as you grow as you get like second year third year you should start designing like design system be involved in things like that so so and then you cannot you cannot just um okay you cannot get to know that by not acquiring um certifications and taking courses like about it like those areas all of that so that's what i have to say yeah. So, how, how have you found? How have you found finding resources to learn? And then also, I mean, if you if you want a certification, um, if you feel that's a, that's something you need, have you found those things to be accessible for people in in a developing country like Africa? Or have you found that there's been certain blockers to that, maybe financial, maybe just purely access to these things? Mm, I'll say, from, I want to speak for product design. In certain areas, um, I really do not think it's accessible like that. Okay, for areas like research here, 
yeah, there will do a lot of courses on research and all of that. But also areas like copy um, UX writing, areas like um what area can I mention? Like system design, all of that. Like there are really not a lot of um a lot of resources out there. So for we in Nigeria, so we there are there are like lots of um conferences like design conferences that people organize and all of that and so like experienced people come to speak so that's another way you get to like acquire you get to learn and all of that and and let's say um, prior to that conference you had zero knowledge about for example system design or you had an experienced person talk about that and then you get like get to like pick one or two um terminologies so you could then go back like use Google, like you say, Google is your friend. Use Google and then search, and then you could then see more resources relating to those technologies you've typed. Because, because if you are trying to like use Google, for example, here yeah, to like search for certain things, you might not see because you are not using the right thing. You are not using like the right words to search for it. But for like for when when you attend conferences like that, people speak pick one or two, you go back home and do all of that you have said. You'll find more and like that. And through your own research, you could, okay, the next time you might not be the one speaking and then you might not be the one helping other people too. Like, that's the way it's like, it's, it goes around. Yeah, so, so, you, so it sounds to me like um, the challenge is essentially having that um, grounding in a specific topic. So you understand the topics and you understand um, the terms, terminology that's used so that when you then do your research, you know what to actually search for. So it's almost like the introductory level for product design is is missing. There's an empty space there. Mm, okay, for product design, yeah. if you want to like get courses or resources online, you'll see more of UI design. Yeah, you see a lot, like a lot of resources about UI design. Then for the research, okay, because I'm going to speak with, I'm going to like speak at a community um, soon, that like next week, about um, turning pain points to product features, for example. Yeah. So that part, like that topic I'm going to speak on now, like you really cannot find like lots of resources online for that and even when you like search you are not seeing what you want to see like they are not going deep 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 they're just like okay talk about pain points project feature like nobody is taking you like through the whole steps like okay from this to this to this to that like you are not going to see you're just you're just going to see oh what pain points are types of pain points and all of that then you move to okay you you will see how to get pain points and all of that but then converting them to product feature and features Yeah, it sounds almost like these where people always joke about um, all the books that teaches you how to draw. Uh, On the first page, it shows you two or three lines. And then on the next page, it's done. And you're like, but where's all the steps in between? (laughs) You know, it almost sounds like that. But that's interesting. So you're going to speak at a community conference about this, about turning pain points into product features. Tell me more about that. I'm super curious to learn more. Uh, okay, okay. So, okay, I would say, okay, what this topic is basically going to like be about would be that as a product designer here, you know that, oh, we are focusing on users, true, but you also cannot neglect 
the organization's like the organizational needs and like goals and all of that. So whenever and so I'm trying to like tell like tell people that oh in as much as you are putting users like uh, making your design users at the center of the design yeah all of that you also cannot neglect the com the, the organization their goals and all of that because you cannot you can't listen to every user's pain points because some of them will cost your company a whole lot if your company is not there financially and all of that so so like that's why I was like talking about all of that so we're when you're trying to pick out and turn that pain point to like solution, there's what I talk, I talk about the prioritization grid where you get to like determine if this solution I'm offering here, yeah, if the solution I'm offering is um okay, it's called we have like four four quadrants. We have the low effort, high impact, which means that oh, this solution I'm giving is going to have like a low um, impact on user, but it's also require high effort. And that you will not go for that because if your users will have to do so much to to do this, I'm sure they will not. They will look for like they will look for like easier method and easier ways to achieve to achieve their goals. So all of that. So we also have the other quadrant, which is like the low effort. No, we have the high effort and low impact, which which is the the. I already explained that. Sorry, we have the high high impact and high effort, which means that oh. It will have high impact on users, and they also need to like do so much to do this. So you will also go for that. So like there are all lots of things involved in this in this um topic I'll be discussing next week, twenty fourth. So yeah, interesting. Yeah, that that is that is a difficult one. I know, um, like if you're a startup, for example, it's really hard to to decide. What are the product features that you should include from the from the start? Which things can wait down the line? And I think one of one of the interesting things there is um, I, the folks uh, from Y Combinator. Um, they have they have essentially said with an MVP, you need to be very careful that an MVP is truly an MVP. And yeah, absolutely. What defines an MVP is that you are, you would be okay with taking that work and just throwing it away. It's not going to bother you, because otherwise it's not an MVP. If you're so bought into it and you're so kind of in love with it, then it means you've spent too much time refining it. Right? You need to like get the thing working and then get it in front of people. That's the most important thing because you need to understand whether people actually find this product or the solution you're trying to offer. Do they actually find it useful or are you missing the point entirely? So you don't want too much effort in there. So I think that that talks to you where you say like, you definitely don't want to focus on the high effort things. You want to see like, what is kind of low effort, but can have a, a medium to high impact, impact on my end users. Yes, yes, yeah. So also, I also feel I also also believe that here yeah, for startups here, yeah, um, depending on your financial level, because because there's no way as as a company like you are going to spend money, like you're going to spend money to to get to users for users like the whole process like money is involved, and so I also feel that there there are certain features of product that you do not just launch at the beginning. You wait till like you you have like. Um, you attain a certain financial level before you're able to like oh release certain features and all of that. Because if you get to spend so much and you're getting little in return, it's going to close, like it's going to shut down and 
what's the point of a startup if you are not also making like making money from it? Yeah, no, true. I mean, yeah, people do a business primarily, generally, to make money. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm curious about two things. So one thing is, uh, I spoke to Martin Woodward from GitHub about the Octaverse report, and one of the interesting things in there was it they. They looked at growth across the globe in terms of people contributing to open source, and they specifically looked at first-time contributors. And there was a couple of areas across the world that clearly showed a massive boom in first-time contributors during the 22-23 period. Um, while Africa, for the most part, is still blue, which means there's not a lot of contributions happening, one of the places that has the most contributions in the African continent is Nigeria. So I'm curious, yeah. how does that play, the fact that there's so much uh, interest and excitement and passion about open source and as a result, there's all this contribution happening. What is the impact of that on people getting into tech, people that's been two, three years into it, but then also the, the startup culture, the general startup culture in Nigeria? Um, so I would say in Nigeria, yeah, I, I, I really, for me, for me, when I started um, um, contributing to open source design, yeah, it was actually like overwhelming, like I did not actually like understand at first. So, and I was like, no, like I really can't know because it keeps, I keep hearing it everywhere, open source design, open source, I'm like, oh, what's this open source design? I need to even like see what's about and of that. So I, I joined like couple of open source communities uh chaos and and i said oh i attended the first meetings and all of that and from there i was able to like, understand what open source is all about and how as a designer i can contribute to that and all of that so i think the the gap like what's causing the gap is people trying to like oh taking out time to really understand what's this is about and also i would not recommend people joining like several open source communities at the same time like start with one get serious with one follow up with one from there from that you get okay extend to another and so 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 you don't get overwhelmed and so you don't just like oh and like you, you know when you become when you become overwhelmed and you just drop everything and just and so that's that's why have you found chaos so you said when you kind of when you started in open source, so you heard about it a lot, right? And you were like, yeah. "This sounds interesting. A lot of people are talking about it. There's got to be something to this. I don't know what, but let me try and find out." And somehow you stumbled upon chaos. And um, how? What role is chaos and the chaos community played? And you understanding what it's about, and then being able to start contributing. Okay, so chaos has made me. Um, learn to work with like work with plenty of people at the same time, like plenty of designers at the same time, because you get to work with lots of designers at the same time. Unlike your work at work where you just work like your team might just be like five or six designers, like my team. Or in open source design, you get to work with lots of designers, and then you get to also it also helps with this team teamwork, improves your teamwork, helps like helps you to to like tolerate other people because you mean I mean 
there are lots of people and then you have to like tolerate and also there are people which you will know there are people who are experienced like in design and you might not be able to meet them like um, let's say bump into them somewhere or check it but through communities like open source you get to meet them and like I also see it as a way of networking too. So you get to meet those people who are way, way more experienced than you and then you get they also get to mentor you too. So it's it's a win win. Yeah, for sure. Um what is the type of um opportunities that you've gotten because through chaos, like what's the type of contributions that you get an opportunity to work on? Is it like very collaborative with other the designers, developers, that kind of thing? Is it more like you have to go and figure out yourself what to do? Um no, it's it's actually like it's not it's not um what's what it's not it's not bad. Like for my, my own experience here, I would say that it has been they they the team has been welcoming to me, like um, I'm not. They're not just saying, "Oh, go go figure by yourself." No, like we have meetings where we talk about um, the tasks for the week, and if you have questions, you ask. If there are blockers, you talk about your blockers, and then the lead gets like, "Oh, explain this to you," and all of that. And then they're like, they're like weekly checkups and all of that. And that's what it has been for me. So it's not, "Oh, go do it by yourself." No, it's not like that. We do it together. Yeah, it's great. So, and I mean, I guess you've also through this, you've learned a bunch of stuff about using Git, GitHub, all that kind of stuff. Mm, I would say to an extent, yes. But started off as started off as a design, like as a designer, I didn't get to use that like a lot. But now I'm more conversant with it than I, like than earlier. Mm-hmm. So do um. When you all do Figma designs and that kind of thing, do you, how does the collaboration work? Is it mainly people giving you feedback within Figma? Um, is it that you're sharing screenshots on like a GitHub issue or something like that and getting feedback that way? Is it kind of a combination of the two? Okay, so for, for a collaborative work like Chaos, we, okay, first they get to, um, they get to allow you to edit, which means you could like design and do all the like you have like full access to the board and all of that. So you get to like create a page. Like if you have a tax, you've given a tax, create a page on that board and you could name it like your name or whatever tax you're giving and then do your thing. And when we meet for like meetings that we talked like I mentioned earlier. If you say you are done with yours, delete guests like check it out and then could drop comments like all of that. Then then Figma allows there's this new feature where um um you could you could say that oh that this design is ready for implementation. There's so you could like there's a way to do that now. So developers come and it's when you see that um was how do I explain that tab on it, just okay, they know that oh they can go ahead. It's it's um, implementation and all of that. Okay, yeah, that's cool. Is is so that's a Figma feature now because I remember uh, a while back when I was using Figma, there wasn't really a way to signal that other than you creating it yourself, right? So you would have a little sticker that you would add to the thing saying yes, "ready for yeah. implementation." Okay. Yes. Yes. Cool. Yeah, so it's kind of like on GitHub, if you open a pull request, then you can open a draft pull request, which means you can see what I've done so far, but don't review it yet because I'm not quite done. And then you can say, okay, 
this is ready for review and then it changes the status yeah. so now you know okay cool now i can review and then once somebody one or more people has given their thumbs up and said this is good to go then it goes into the main branch and then it gets deployed all that kind of thing so it sounds like you have a very similar workflow within figma as well yes yes figma has given a platform like for um, for for designers and um, people are going to go like for them to like to collaborate and the year before there will be like issues like, oh why did you do that i didn't say i was redone and all of that but now once you see the tag we're like oh, okay sure i can go ahead cool that's good to know so um yeah you were you were involved in some conversations and i saw you reset some people's stuff and it was around this idea that unpaid internships really needs to stop like if you're taking somebody on whether they're a junior or what they should be paid for the work they do and if you can't pay them then don't hire them what do you think about that because i you know it is a bit of a double-edged sword right how do you get experience if there's no internships if nobody pays you then how do you feed your family how do you feed yourself how do you take so so it's a it's a hard balance but i do get the fact that if you're giving up some of your time and knowledge you should be compensated for that um, okay, so for that, I would say that if you are go, if I, I, I do not subscribe to unpaid internships, I feel at least you should be given um like just something might be break might be lunch, might just be some like or transport fare or just something like just do something because because it's not it's not easy trying to oh to to build a career at that stage and then I you know that some companies here they get to even overwork the interns because like because it's they don't pay them to like they get to overwork them and all of that and then which would then lead to the whole mental health and all of that and then people they might just like uh, resign they're not working again and all of that and so i just feel like even if you do like companies don't have that much money to pay but there should be something given to to the interns like just something like just help like help Take like a body, like either lunch, tea fair, like just something just to for them. That's the way I see it. Mm, yeah. How do you find how easy or hard is it to find work as somebody that's still early in their career, but then also somebody that's in Nigeria and in the African continent? Because I know there's, I've spoken to other people. And I live in South Africa, right? So I, and oftentimes you see a lot of remote until you inquire and then you discover that it's remote, but not really. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. How, how do you find, you know, your access to being able to grow as a professional? Hmm. I would say it really, it really, for me, it was not easy. And even with the current state of the economy in Nigeria, it's really not easy. Like it's really not easy for people who are starting now. But the only advice I think I can give is oh try to put yourself out there. Like just try. You could just try to send cold meals. Like you might you, you can't tell who's going to like um give you the job and all of that. So just try, try to put yourself out there. It might it might it might it might okay. You might feel I don't know, like you might feel, oh, like this thing I'm doing is cringe, or whatever, but just do it. Because, I mean, 
you don't know where your job is going to come from. So like just just try to put yourself out there. It's really not easy. Then for we Nigerians, um trying to get like intentional jobs like outside Nigeria, that's like another another problem on its own. But but people are doing it, still doing it, but it's really not that easy over here. Why do you think it's so hard to get a job outside Nigeria? Okay, so so first I would say it's payment issues, like receiving payments, because there are so many restrictions right now getting payments um, from. So so employers over there don't want to go through all that stress to pay the employees. So just like, oh, I'll just stick with people in my country or my continent and all of that too. So that's like a major issue here because... The, the payment regulation keeps changing every day. Yeah, it's tough. Um, it is. I, I, I have a friend in Zimbabwe who uh, used to do consulting, freelance consulting type stuff. And eventually he, he just had to stop because the amount, the number of hops his money had to take from the client to him meant that by the time it reaches him there's almost nothing left because every payment processor takes a little bit yes yes that's the problem too yeah and then he sat with the additional problem where for some unknown reason people expect him to be cheaper than the same person doing the same job in the u.s right so now you have to charge less and then every hop you lose a bit more so it's almost impossible to make a living right yeah Yes, yes, that's so true. That's so true. Because I've, I've, I've seen people's um, tweets on that X, post on X, where people say that, oh, um, people over there reach out to them in Nigeria because they feel they should be cheaper. But then when they charge them, they're like, oh, I thought, um, like, like they, do, they do not think that creatives in Nigeria like should should charge so much. They feel... I don't, I don't know why they, they feel that way. Like, you just feel, oh, it should be less. And then getting the payment, like you said, trying to convert and all of that, like, by the time by the time the money is done going through the whole process, it gets to you, like, so the payment issue. And Nigeria can't get payment through certain met, uh, payment methods. So we're, like, yep. limited. Yeah, yeah. I know one of them is um, Stripe. We can't accept we can't accept Stripe payments, right? Um, nowhere in Africa can you accept Stripe, which is fascinating because Stripe bought a Nigerian payment processing yes, company. Yes, yes, <laughs> And then we're like, so, so how? But then you can't use it in your own country. That's fascinating. Yes. Well, I mean, there's nothing we can do. We just have to find another method. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We need to be creative. Um, AI. I wanted to touch on that because I think it's probably something one can't like not talk about these days. Um, what are your thoughts on AI? Do you see it as a positive thing, a negative thing, a bit of both? Mm, um, indifferent. And I do okay, when I see people say things like, oh, AI is here to take design, the designer's room, I'm like, no, AI can't be creative as I am. AI can't 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 just have that human like that human touch just can't. But but when it comes to area, areas of um, areas like the research, yeah, it helps. It helps you to like it gives you like um, more 
more insights. That's like that's fine. That's good. But when it comes to the UI design itself, it, it looks because I've I've seen people post um, AI generated um, uh, mockups on Twitter and all of that, and it's not looking nice. Like as a designer, I would, I would rate that. I, I'm being fair. Two over ten. Yeah. But if I'm like be very strict, zero over ten because it's not. It's not. It's not. Um, What's the word? It's not pleasing like that. Like it's not satisfying like that to look at. It's it's giving. You know when we started at, um, using Windows, um, Windows Seven back then, like kind of interface. That's what it's giving. Like it's not. So I do not think AI can take designers' role. Do you use AI? And if you do, what, which products or services or whatever have you found to be helpful? Save you time, maybe, or anything like that. Okay, so I use um, um ChatGPT and Bad. Then I also use this one, Copy AI. I use that for copies, like when I'm trying to come copies for my design. But then I get to access that. Like, I I get to see um the way I want it. Like I use certain prompts. Like I'm very direct. Like to guess, I'm very direct as to what um feedback I I get. Like I need from it. Okay. Um, but I guess for me, um, something that I realized earlier, I think it's gotten better maybe to some extent, but cost is a big um, blocker when it comes to these tools, right? If you want to use stuff like Jasper and you want to use Copy AI, but you want to use the full features of it, it's pricey. It's very, very pricey. Yes, it is. It is very pricey. So well, I, I try to limit myself like the... I think for copy AI, you have like how many trials? I think like three trials or something like that. So I try not to like ask a lot. Have you tried any of the, the open source stuff, like the things that's on Hugging Face and that has a similar similar feature sets to these but are actually free? I, have, I haven't tried. I, I, I haven't tried. Cool. I'll share some of them um, on Slack and I'll also stick some of them in the in the show notes for this episode. Because thankfully, thankfully, there's open source and um, places like Hugging Face, which which gives you access to a lot of these powerful things, and it doesn't cost you anything. There's no limit or anything. Like oh that. wow! Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, so yeah, I'll I'll definitely share that because I mean I so when all of this came out, uh, well, I mean when the big boom happened in what was it February March last year? Um, yes. It was a scary moment, right? It was like, whoa, holy cow, where does this come from? And it, this seems incredible and all that kind of stuff. But then I immediately worried about the fact when I saw the pricing for these things. I was like, there's a big, 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 there's a large number of people that's going to be excluded from this because people in Africa and developing countries can't afford these prices. It's it's yes. really expensive. But then, thankfully, open source jumped in and said like, we can do this and we can do it even better and we can move faster. So I'm thankful that that's happening. And um, yeah, I'm thankful open source exists. I think it's, it's opening the doors for a lot of folks. And that's why I'm always dismayed when I see Africa being one of the continents with the least amount of contributions. I understand why that is. I understand it's very practical reasons why that is. But it would be great if we can find a way to to improve that situation because I do think it can open up a lot of doors for us. Yeah, actually, I, I think so too. Cool. Well, um, this has been a great conversation. I think 
to close it out, how can people find you and support your work? Mm, okay, so I am a very shy person, but this year I decided to to drop that and oh, put myself out there so more people can see me. So I think LinkedIn is one place you can find me. Then I started off um content creation on TikTok, but I'm anonymous there. So you could also find people who find me there as Design Buddy or That Tech Babe. So that's like the two places you can find me. Then for Instagram, I'm still trying to build the page, but it's still the same um, design. Uh, I think design double underscore buddy. Yeah, that's that's where people can find me on Instagram. Amazing. Cool. And I'll put those links in the show notes so that people can find you easily. Thanks so much for sharing your time with me and sharing your story and your successes and your frustrations and all these kinds of things. Wish you all of the best and um, I'll keep an eye on what you do and I'll be hanging around in chaos. So maybe we'll, our paths will cross again. Thank you for listening to the Mycelium Network podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with your friends. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Have something to add? Continue the conversation on GitHub and join the community on Slack. Until the next one, keep making the web awesome.